Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed, and today we have on with us Brandon from uh, Apostate Cigars. So I'm looking forward to chatting with him and learning more about his brand. It's kind of a newer brand to the market, so um, we have a lot to kind of chat about and learn about today. So let me get our guest on. Brandon, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Like I said, thank you for coming on. Uh, I, I like to tell people how I, I encounter different brands. So you and I have never really spoken much, but we followed each other on Instagram. And yeah. when I was at the PCA trade show a couple months ago, I was walking around the trade show floor and I kept passing by your booth and it was super busy all like <laughs> the whole time I was there. So I, every time I walk by and say, are they free now? And it was just super busy. And yeah. like your booth was like one of the ones that had a line mm -hmm. of like retailers like lined up ready to speak to you all. It reminded yeah. me a lot. I'm going to date myself when I say this, but it reminded me a lot of uh, Toys R Us in the 80s. <laughs> I don't know if people remember this, but oh, I remember. Yeah, back in the 80s, uh, there's a store called Toys R Us. And it was like the greatest store ever if you were a kid. Um, great for, for the action figures. Great for video games. And... Every now and then, Toys R Us will hold these events where they would have the characters from the Saturday morning cartoons like He-Man. and Oh, my and, God. I remember that. Yeah. And yeah. Ninja Turtles. And they would have yeah. them dress up. Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. And they had them dress <laughs> up and positioned in different places around the store just to kind of get you to move around the store probably. Now, when you're older, you kind of know why they did what they did. Just to get yeah. you to move around the store and while you were waiting. And you were waiting in line to meet them and shake their hands and take pictures with them. That's what your booth was like the whole trade yeah. show. So no, Toys R Us like, was ahead of the game. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're trying to capture that same magic, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, it was like super busy. And I just remember uh you had articles coming out about you all like on half wheel right before the show. So there's like a lot of buzz around your brand. So I'm yeah. very interested today in learning more because I'm always looking for new brands. And I hope people out there who are listening and watching are also interested in learning about new brands that are kind of on the market so well um, we appreciate that and i mean it's guys like you you know the media outlets uh the 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 blogs and the the youtube channels plays a huge part in the hype you know what mm -hmm. i mean without you guys out there talking about who's new and what's hot and what's cool we, we probably wouldn't have the same exposure so thank you for doing what you do we appreciate it no no problem um i, I think a, a great place to start is how did you get into cigars in general in general. So cigars uh, became a hobby, a pastime, a passion, whatever you want to call it. Um, back in about 2011 for me, 2010, um, I, I was working a, a desk job at, at UPS and everyone I would talk to in the office had like their their thing, right? Everybody had like something that they were kind of nerdy about or that they would go home, you know, what it was model trains or something, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what's my thing, but I want it to be cool. I want it to be different. And I'm in Utah, right? I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. The one thing that you don't hear a lot about and that had always intrigued me as a little kid is, is cigars. Like you see them in movies, you see them in TV, stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? I don't know what prompted it, but I was just like, what's up with cigars? And I wanted to get into it. So uh, working at UPS at my desk job, I had the opportunity to just chill all day and listen to headphones and I, I started listening to podcasts about cigars. That's where I picked up Stogie Geeks uh, mm -hmm. back in the early days for Coop, you know, so it, it kind of went downhill from there, man, uh, or uphill or however you want to say, say it. Uphill, uphill. Yeah. <laughs> not, 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 not downhill in a bad way, downhill in a momentum way, right? So uh, my wife that year uh, got me a, a little, you know, care package of a, a humidor and like 20 various cigars and a cutter and a lighter because she saw me being nerdy about it and uh, not a lot of locations to buy cigars locally in Utah. So she hopped online and got me a little birthday gift and it was, it was game over, man. Lights out done. After I smoked that first cigar, I was like, okay, yep, this is my thing. I, I wanted it to be my thing. And now I really want it to be my thing. So that's, that's how I got into it. It's funny you say that. Cause I think a lot of us with a certain age bracket, I was trying to think of a nice way of saying it. Like we encountered cigars, you know, in cartoons yeah. and movies before right. there was such a crackdown on that right. kind of representation in movies. And yeah. to the point yeah. now where it's like, 
if you see a cigar a character in a in a TV show or movie smoking a cigar now, it feels like a big deal because you just don't see. I mean, there's like warnings now, like when you turn on a movie or or right. TV show, it's like this show has depictions of tobacco in it. Yeah, um, and it's funny. smoking images of smoking, like you have to warn the kids to look away, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I was watching um, Star Trek Picard, a science fiction show, and one Great of the characters, show. one of the characters in that, for those who, who haven't watched it for the first, at least the first two seasons, I know season three will be out in February, so people who are watching afterwards won't see that character. But he he smoked cigars in it, and I remember seeing it was like like that was such a big deal. There was like right. you know because Hey, it was like cigars uh, make it to the future somehow. <laughs> but right, was, yeah, they, was, they made it. Yeah. I know they I think existed. It was like Romeo and, and Julieta. Uh, uh, I think, but it's such strange. But it's funny how we all kind of like I said encounter that and Bugs Bunny and yeah, and, Tom and Jerry, Jerry, you know, Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry, yeah. And it was just time. like common. It wasn't like anything bad and stuff. Like so, you no. would never see something like that now. And. Yeah, we weren't worried about the kids as much back then, were we? Yeah. No, no. Like, there's a lot of stuff. If you look back at those TV shows and stuff, that you're like, hmm, like that would never fly now. It would, yeah. not, it would not go today. It's, it's <laughs> funny because even when I watch, uh, you know, on the rare occasion I'm able to catch something like live with Kelly and Ryan. Kelly mm-hmm. uh, Ripa has this moment always where she's like doing like the fake smoking thing, and I'm like. Right. I'm sure that her producers say like, let's yeah. not do that a lot, but she always does. Yeah, like, someone's hey, like, we need to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to piss off the moms. Exactly. But yeah. that's cool. But that's cool that you, like you say, everybody has their thing, but it's, it's interesting that you that you chose your, your thing uh, to be cigars. It was um, just, yeah, it was kind of a curiosity. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, there was I was playing like chess at the time, so maybe I'm the chess guy, right? Or so you know I didn't want to be like a guy, but I wanted to have a thing that I could talk about. And people were like, so what are you into? I'm like, you know what? I really enjoy premium cigars. That was that was a cool thing for me to be able to say and and enjoy and actually like have curiosity about it and learn about it. And it it took me on an adventure all of its own that I never expected, you know. So it, it's cool. It, and here here we are. <laughs> So what was that? Do you remember what the first premium cigar that you you smoked was? The cigar that made me a, a cigar smoker that made me want to like buy in. It was the uh, uh, the Aroma de Cuba Mi Amor by by Ashton. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that was when I because I'd smoked a few, you know, some I don't remember some older Romeo and Julieta stuff. It was okay, mm-hmm. but that uh, that Aroma de Cuba, I was like, oh, okay, okay. It surprised me. What about it appealed or jumped out to you? Like you said, compared to some of those other cigars that you had smoked. Some of the others had a little bit, I would call them one dimensional, Mm -hmm. right? So when I smoked a cigar, I was like, okay, cool. So that's what a cigar tastes like. Um, But when I got to the Aroma de Cuba and this was, you know, 2011, this was, this was right when that brand was, was getting a lot of hype and and getting a lot of attention. Um, The tobacco was richer. It was, it was more flavorful and it, it had some change-ups. It, it had some things that surprise you as you smoke it. So you didn't get one flavor profile through the whole smoke. It had the change-ups. It had those rich, dark kind of chocolate coffee notes happening. And I, my palate hadn't experienced that to that point. And I didn't know a cigar could do that. I didn't know that was something you could do on purpose. So it, it surprised me enough to get me really curious. And then I started smoking everything. So how did you go from being just a, a cigar consumer to actually working in the industry? Um, so that I, I was working for a couple corporate jobs and it got to a point where. Oh, I think we lost him. He'll come back. There we are. Yeah. All right, so I, I took a little bit of time off. Um, about three months, I wasn't working. This was back in 2015, mm-hmm. and uh, during my time off from the corporate world, trying to figure out what I was going to do to put bread on the table and not drive myself nuts to make a living, I was smoking a lot of cigars. I was smoking a couple a day, um, and I was buying them from two retailers in my in my local area. Um, the one that impressed me as far as like 
things you couldn't get somewhere else was a place called Beehive Cigars. It, it had, at the time, I didn't know the difference between Legacy and Boutique, but they had kind of latched on to some of the smaller brands that were offering things that were, that were unique that I hadn't seen anywhere else. So it, it kept me going back and, and trying new stuff. And I'm sitting there that three months just trying to figure out what I want to do with myself. And I'm like, well, shit, man, I'm spending money on cigars every day. How do I get paid to do that? Like, how do I get paid to make that a part of, of my every day? So I, I talked to the owner of, of Beehive to see if he needed some help. Uh, he didn't need help at the time, so I was kind of disheartened. Uh, but then luckily he called me a couple of weeks later. He had somebody quit. Uh, he was like, I'd love to, to interview you um, and see how it fits. And it was, we were fast friends from, from day one. It just clicked. Um, so I came into Beehive. I started running the place about four or five months into it. I was, I was the general manager. And then it was a few years of that, um, you know, helping the business grow, curating the humidor, doing the purchasing, doing the buying, planning all the events. So it, it just kind of became what you do. You know, it's that every day. I, I mean, you've been to your local retailer, you see what they juggle. That was, mm -hmm. that was for me. And I loved it. Loved every bit of it. I think that's interesting because, you know, to learn like the craft, it's almost like you have to do your time. And yeah, we live, in, we live in a society that like you get an idea for a business and you're just like, I'm going to jump right in. We're going to go, we're going to go for it. Like next week, it's just going to be like, you know, 100%. And it's like, yep. take your time, learn to craft, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and yeah. people don't want, always want to do that. So like kudos to you to, to saying like, you know, Hey, I like cigars, but I might want to go take this into a career and right. I'm willing to like work in retail to kind of like learn the industry. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where like, if you're doing something that like, if you're not at work, but you're thinking about it because you enjoy it, you know what I mean? If, if you're thinking about doing something or you're wondering how it's going while you're gone, I, I feel like that means you're in the right place. You know what I mean? And for me, um, when I wasn't working a shift at Beehive, I wanted to be at Beehive. That's where my community was now. That's where my new friends were. That's where people who I had something in common with were gathering. So it, it just felt like a natural step. And I was lucky that I was getting paid to do it. You know, that was a bonus, right? So I, I, I would have worked for cigars. Don't tell Kendrick, but you know. <laughs> so, so when you worked, you know, in retail, did you get to, I know some retailers get to go on trips you know, to different factories and kind of see to better understand what's in their humidor. Did you get to go on any trips like that to kind of see where your the cigars that were in the humidor were actually made and how they were made? Yeah, I did. I went on a couple of trips. Um, the one that stands out the most and probably impacted my wanting to go further in the industry was the 2017 tour we did uh, with Perdomo. Uh, I, was Nick thinking, yeah. you said, I was thinking, I was like, I think I just wheeled it. I was like, it's going to be Perdomo. It's going to be Perdomo. Oh, because like, it, that's like always the ultimate. I hear, I haven't yeah. done it yet, but I hear that like, that's like the ultimate kind of factory. I mean, it depends on what you're trying to get out of it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. if you're looking for, if you're looking for just a good time and you want to learn a little about cigars and you know, see a few of the steps, stuff like that, there's safaris and stuff like that, or, mm -hmm. or little, you know, like pro cigar, you're going to go to dinner every night and you're going to have a party and that kind of stuff. You'll do a factory tour, but it's not as in depth. If you want, like, here's the business here. It is from seed to shipping um, and everything in between. And this is where we make the boxes and this is how we ferment. And this is why, and for how long Nick Perdomo, it, I'm telling you that factory tour, that's not a factory tour. That's that's a cigar university in a weekend down there. It's it's pretty intense. So that kind of helped foster my my curiosity. It helped me, like once you see behind the curtain that way a little bit, you have a deeper appreciation for it. And I think it makes you want to learn even more. So yeah, that, that Perdomo factory tour was was definitely a pretty big catalyst for me wanting to, to go further. Yeah, and I always feel like I wish more even consumers got to go on trips like that because- Yeah. You know, it's. I think any creative person kind of encounters this: is that you spend so much time making something and creating something, and then the person who consumes it spends a right. fraction of that time, right? You know, actually consuming that thing. Whether it's well, you know, and that's and that's where the tobacconist comes in, right? It's mm -hmm. and that's it's beneficial for a tobacconist to go on those trips, and that's why they do it mm -hmm. um, because you can speak to you know, the cigar and the culture and the company in the humidor while you're selling the product. But like you said, if you can get a, a, a consumer on one of those trips and that, that Perdomo tour had several consumers from, from some other shops that were there, 
I mean, it's, you can just see it click for them and you can see like, oh, wow, I had no idea that all of that went into what I just spent 15 bucks on to set on fire. You know, <laughs> like, it's cool to see the dots connect and, and, and you get a customer for life out of that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I've done, yeah, uh, I think my first one was a, a Davidoff trip back in oh. 20, 2019. Yeah. Like several days. Like we did yep. a field one day, we did the factory another day. We did, you know, at night it was dinner, but it was also like going through each night had a different cigar where right. you like walk through. And uh, it was very educational for me because yep. up to that point, I had just read about stuff or seen some YouTube clips, but yeah. actually be there and see it and understand when they say quality control this is what they mean by quality control like not every cigar exactly yeah what does quality control look like yeah exactly and, you know and how they sort the yeah 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 it's, it's it's a cool process any any retailer or and any consumer that gets the opportunity to do one of those tours i don't care if it's the most basic tour ever do it like it mm -hmm. absolutely do it i mean there's cost involved but if you can afford it go for it it's it'll change your perspective so what came after your retail experience? Uh, so the retail, I actually went straight from retail into uh, Kendrick and I deciding that we wanted to, to launch our own brand. So uh, I was GM over at Beehive for a few years. And during those years, we had always talked about, you know, messing around and maybe doing our own blends. Those factory tours that you were talking about, we, we did a lot. We made a lot of good connections out of those. Uh, we've been, you know, PDR, La Galera, Quesada, uh, we've seen all those factories, La Aurora. Those are all places that we've been and you get to build relationships with people. So we'd always talked about doing, you know, our own house blends, just something for Beehive. And then we got an opportunity to sit down with Hochi Blanco and talk about making it bigger. Uh, instead of just doing a, a Beehive exclusive, we, we understood that we were faced with an opportunity to, to kind of maybe take our spin on what we think a good cigar would look like and what it would taste like and go bigger and, and give it to whoever wants it. So it, it kind of organically grew into us forming Apostate Cigars in 2020. Uh, that year was 2020, so it was hard to get a lot done, right? Mm -hmm. um, but 2021 is when we started blending and started making trips and, and you know doing production, and then we hit shows this last December. So I went straight from running Beehive Cigars as the general manager to uh, you know co-founder and, and vice president of Apostate. It was a pretty pretty seamless switch there. Now, I know you had worked with Kendrick up to that point anyway, but you know, this is like going, this is a completely different business, almost like different yeah. requirements, different attention that you have to put to it. How did you know, you know, from your side, because we can't get Kendrick's side, but how did you know that Kendrick was like the person that you wanted to do this next kind of phase chapter with? Because I think Great. a lot of people struggle Sometimes yeah. with business ideas and they they have friends or they have people that they work with and they're like, yeah, maybe this person would be good for a business partner. But it's still a big leap to kind of go from like a it is. So it is a big leap. It was that he was like the one that you needed well, to do this with. That's a great question. And, I, and I'm glad you asked because I don't get to. I don't get to uh, praise Kendrick as my partner as often as I would like. So uh, he's he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. He's definitely the most creative person I've ever met. And he's already got the background of running a business behind him, right? He, he took Beehive for 13 years from a little closet humidor in another part of town to easily the biggest humidor in the state of Utah. Um, Kendrick did that. You know what I mean? It, that's, that's a lot. In a state that doesn't want you to smoke, in a state that's got one of the highest taxes in the country at 86%, to wow. watch him uh, and help him, you know, grow a business that, by all accounts shouldn't succeed here and make it thrive i knew obviously he's the right guy if you want to if you want to talk business so from there it was it was pretty easy uh to say hey you know creatively we're good at bouncing ideas off each other already um as far as tobacco goes we've we've smoked thousands of cigars by default because we have to because we're retailers so our palate is good we're probably going to do okay at, at blending something that we like and we think customers would like um we've got relationships in place already like everything was kind of leading us that direction there really weren't a lot of cons there, there weren't a lot of reasons for us to say no he's not the guy i want to work with i mean and we get along famously he's my best friend honestly mm -hmm. people say don't work with your friends but 
we hold each other accountable. Um, sometimes it's brutal. It has to be, you know what I mean? You, you've got to be honest with each other all the time and, and keep each other accountable. But that dude, I tell him all the time and, and I mean it, uh, if it wasn't him, it wouldn't be anybody else. I, I honestly, I don't, I can't see me doing this with anybody else. I like how you said that you, you admit it, that sometimes it's, 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 it is brutal as you just said, but it's, it's business. Um, Cause I was yeah. having this discussion with someone a couple of days ago about, you know, friends working with each other. And there's so many people who think it's like a great idea. Cause like, I know this person, I trust this person. But then when it comes to like some of the tough decisions, you know, they struggle with saying like, okay, I know that you feel very strongly about this or you always done it this way, but we really need to do it a different way. And it's, a right. such, it's like an uncomfortable feeling, especially it's, it's like less uncomfortable if you don't know the person or if you're not friends with that person. Right. When it gets like uncomfortable, when like the more familiar you are with that person, because you're like, I don't yeah, want you have to something to lose. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No. And I think that that's always something that you, you know, you have to, you have to keep it in mind, but that's, that's a relationship that, that is easy to maintain. We're both good at compartmentalizing mm-hmm. uh, when we're in the office and you have to set the ego and the friendship aside you just do it because it, it's it's either do it and and figure it out or the company flounders you mm-hmm. know what i mean so it's it, what are your priorities the friendship will be fine the, the friendship happens outside of the office door you know what i mean um the friendship maintains itself at that point it's business like you said you you've got to you've got to be responsible you've created a thing um and now you're responsible for the care of that thing right so how do we best care for apostate cigars you gotta you gotta put the ego and the friendship and the personal shit aside exactly um when you started when it was suggested to you that you could take this brand into a whole different direction not just a house blend but you know something national something bigger um it seems like that will cause like a that will call for a financial commitment that probably that maybe you weren't accounting for so how did you (laughs) handle how did you handle that? Because I think like in the cigar business, we never hear about money really. And and right. I know that that's a big barrier for entry for lots of brands because sure. it just costs a lot of money to, to get product well, out there and to maintain that. Yeah, it, it does. It absolutely does. Um, that's where good relationships come in. Um, but it's also one of those, like the other thing you see on the other end of the spectrum is, is these guys who, Maybe money's never been an issue. Money's not an object, right? You've got a couple million here and there. Maybe you're a retired athlete or something, right? We're being hypothetical. I'm not right. calling anyone out. But it's easy sometimes for those guys to be like, yeah, I would really like to get into distributing a cigar. And kudos to them for being able to do it. Um, that was not my situation. And that certainly wasn't Kendrick's situation. For us, that was that, that required sitting down with our families and saying, hey, this is what we want to do um we're pretty serious about it we think it can work it's going to require some financial sacrifice but uh if we treat it right and we do it well the sacrifice should pay off right um so yeah i mean that's the thing that's scary for now not just me and it's not scary for kendrick and just him that's that's you know food on the table for the kids is a concern you know shit like that so yeah man we we decided to make sacrifice and, and buy in. So yeah, we both, we both brought uh, financial to the table to get it going. And, you know, it's, we're still young, but we think we're going to be okay. Now I know that you obviously knew a lot about the industry having worked in retail, mm-hmm. but when you were making the transition to brand owners and manufacturers, what, what was the one thing that kind of took you by surprise that even as a retailer, you didn't really, no. Um, I mean, you get a glimpse as a retailer of like kind of on the manufacturing side, how how everyone knows everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's that sense that it's a it's a small, big world. Right. So when you get to the other side of the table, suddenly <laughs> conversations change gears a little bit and everybody does know everybody and 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 if something's going down everybody knows about it you know so it's really you got to keep your nose clean um the best advice i ever got was put your head down and and stay in your lane and ignore the bullshit and and that's really what we're trying to do you know what i mean it's too easy to 
you know, buy into the who's doing what with their brand and, and worrying about stuff like that. It's like, we learned pretty quickly that like, it's all very connected. So you gotta, you gotta fly straight and that's not hard. Just don't um, be an ass, you know, like, I know yeah. it, well, we, we say, I, I, I sit here and say, I know, but, and there's people out there that says like, Oh, of course, but it, right. it's really hard. Like once you kind of get into like the machine, Mm -hmm. of the industry <laughs> that sometimes you do yeah. get caught up in the drama or sometimes you do. Right. Get... And and that's the thing is like, when you say drama, I mean, how bad can it really get? Right. It's not, that right. Dramatic. it's, we're talking about premium cigars. It, it's, it is, it's impressed me that it's more of a, a family dynamic than anything. Sometimes it's a dysfunctional family, but <laughs> right. it is most of these manufacturers, as much as people want you to think there's beef or like butting heads. Yeah, mm -hmm. that happens. But man these guys all love each other like everybody in this industry on on the manufacturing side of the table they're all working together uh there's more collaboration than than butting heads and i love seeing that that's the part that excites me it's who you get to work with so and i tell people like and you know if you go to the trade show for example and i've heard this from other industries outside of the tobacco industry or the cigar industry uh, in particular you go to a trade show and all the companies are there exhibiting or doing what they're doing and then they break out after the works and they go to their own respective corners. They go to their right. own restaurants. They, right. they socialize. And right. with, when you go to something like the um, PCA trade show afterwards, it's like, you know, everybody converges on like the one yeah. little bar that's in the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's, you see people having dinner together. You see people having yeah. drinks. People do go out and do their own thing, but they'll come back and, I've known people to like from, and I'm saying when I say people, I mean people from different industries. So it's almost like you get to see all the celebrities from the cigar industry. Right. They right. all kind of are socializing. They're talking yeah. until like one, two, three, four in the morning. Sometimes yeah. it's you know, fun, man. It, it's uh, cool because, because when, what, yeah, when is everybody together like that? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? These, these are all people that you have conversations with here and there. But now you're all in the same room in the same place for the same reason. And you're excited because the retailers are there and the retailers are excited. It's cool, man. Like there's, there's no party like a PCA party. I'll tell you that right now. So how did you choose you and Kendrick choose the name for your company? Cause I figured, <laughs> I feel like names are like the hardest part of any business and people don't really realize until you you're sitting there trying to right. name and you're trying to think of trademark stuff. You're trying to think right. of what, if anybody else has done this in the past, even right. me picking the name of this podcast was like, you know, it was like, uh, I don't like, what, what do I do? Like, yeah, you, you know, got to scour the internet a little bit. You got to do. Yeah. Your business, how yeah. did you, how did you settle on the name? So, um, I mean, the backstory for where the name comes from, Kendrick and I, obviously we both grew up in Utah. When you grow up in Utah, odds are you're, you're, you're part of the uh, predominant religion out here. Right. And so that was the case for both of us. Uh, we, we didn't know each other at the time, but we had pretty parallel lives growing up in this religion. We're the same age. Um, he, he did what they call serve a mission, serve a mission for the church. Uh, he went to Scotland to, to preach the church to people over there. I was lucky enough to go to Dominican Republic. Uh, and I got to learn Spanish. I got to live there for you know a year and a half and speak the language, learn the culture. So I didn't know at the time that 20 years later, my livelihood would come from that. But, uh, growing up religious and then and then leaving the church like you do you know you grow you ask questions you find out maybe something's not right for you and that was the case for both kendrick and i separately uh when you leave a religion they they have a nice little term for you it's called an apostate an apostate is someone who has basically turned their back on the faith or or walked away from the light right you're you're a rebel now you've you've walked away from the truth so in utah we i mean i was i was People call me that to my face when I left the church. They, they're like, oh, you're an apostate. You're probably going to go to hell. Like, Oh, my gosh. People, people <laughs> full on said that to me. You know what I mean? So it's like, if that's what you're going to call me, when it came time to uh, to name the brand, when we decided to launch, you know, in in the church, you're not, they, they don't want you smoking. They don't want you drinking. Um, none of the vices are okay. So, I mean, we're doing, we're doing all that, right? We're having fun. Uh, we figured we'd kick the door in and own it with with the name apostate. It, it's just fitting for, you know, who we are. We're not trying to disrespect anybody or make fun of any religion or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But that that's our story too. You know what I mean? We came from that too. It it shaped who we are a little bit, right? So uh, we feel like we should be allowed to tell that story however we want to tell it. And so apostates we are. Yeah, that's cool. Because so you took yeah. like a uh, uh, hard situation. 
something that's again uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, some resistance in your life, and you turn that into kind of embrace that scarlet letter per, yeah. per se, and made it kind of your your banner or your your mantra to motivate you and yeah. to represent this uh, new business that you're doing. Yeah, we want it to be empowering. You know what I mean? I mean, not to not to get too long winded about it, but when you walk away from a faith that dominated the bulk of your life that's your community right those are your those are your people and now you don't have that that now that's gone now you're an alien on the outside for me and and i've heard kendrick say it too i i didn't find a sense of community again until i found premium cigars and i started going to lounges and shops and and fitting in with that crowd that was my community at that point so to me it's it's replacing you know something negative with something empowering um and that's that's you know you can call me an apostate but I'm not ashamed of that, you know. <laughs> now, you, you just mentioned that you, you spent some time in the Dominican Republic before mm-hmm. you got into the cigar industry. I did. So uh, when you were down in the Dominican Republic, did you ever encounter any of the cigar culture there? Or was yeah. it just like, I would think, I was about to say, because I think there, there are certain places where I think it would be hard not to run into cigars. <laughs> and things like yeah, I, I mean, when you're, when you're a bright-eyed, you know, 20-year-old little church boy, uh, and you're in a foreign land and, and you're told to avoid certain things, you, you keep your head down and you get some tunnel vision pretty good, right? You, mm-hmm. you pretend that the girl crossing the street wasn't the most beautiful girl you've ever seen because you got to be good, right? So, yeah, I, I mean, you notice the tobacco, right? You see the guys. I was in a region called La Vega. Uh, I lived in Santiago. I mean, I lived in the same neighborhood that Hochi Blanco lives in now. I was just down the road, right? So it, it's... Uh, as much as I was like guided and told to not pay attention to it, you see it, it's there. It, it's who they are. It's part of the culture. You can't avoid it. So yeah, I definitely saw it. But like I said, I had no idea that 20 years later, I was going to be making a living doing it, you know? <laughs> so you said that, that experience enabled you to kind of learn Spanish, mm-hmm. like kind of become familiar with the culture. So I would think that would be extremely helpful now because mm-hmm when you're dealing with the factories and the people down there, it helps to to speak Spanish a lot of times. It does. You're not always um, lucky enough to have somebody who speaks English. Right. um, You know, in certain factories, I mean, certain factories, they have English speaking people, but it's easier sometimes for you to be able to speak Spanish to communicate certain things and kind of, you don't have to worry about that language barrier. Yeah. I know sometimes there is a language barrier where you're trying to explain something. You're like, what's the, what's the Spanish word for this? And you're sitting there and they're like, they're like, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. I and and it's funny because when I got back from um, you know, doing the missionary thing down there in the Dominican Republic, it seemed like every job I had after that, I had the opportunity to use my Spanish in a significant <laughs> way. Um, so I, I never stopped speaking the language. I've I've spoken Spanish fluently for 20 years. So it's it is it feels like it's it's more comfortable going down there. Kendrick doesn't speak Spanish, but he's learning. And, and the one thing he says every time we go down there is that he wishes he spoke it so that, you know, I'll be in a conversation with somebody maybe in the in the production floor in the rolling area. And I'll have to stop and remember that I'm speaking Spanish and explain to him what we've just been talking about. So if there wasn't that, you know, back and forth, it would it would certainly make things easier. But like you said, man, there's plenty of people down there that speak English. Um, they're, they're fully capable of of communicating. But it is it is nice to be you know, a, a tatted up bearded white guy walking through there speaking Dominican Spanish and making heads turn a little bit. It's always kind of funny. <laughs> now, when you were down there on the, the mission, I, I hope that's the right terminology for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were you like, were you by yourself during that time or? or- no. So LDS missionaries, uh, in order to have accountability and, and kind of keep each other out of trouble, uh, you're 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 living with what they call a companion. You have a roommate, basically. OK, so you, you go out in pairs. Yeah, there's always there's always two of you. Yeah, because I was about to say I would think that that would be a little bit isolating. Like, yeah, yeah, it, and that that could mess that could affect your psyche. Like, oh yeah, know, I mean, and, even being yeah, even being with a partner, um, you still you still get homesick and you feel isolated mm-hmm. and you feel lonely and discouraged. You know what I mean? Especially, you know, you're with somebody who's also in a foreign country, right? So it's like you've got to sort of comfort each other a little bit. You know, encourage each other. Uh, luckily I, I lived with, with people who were pretty cool, uh, pretty laid back. So it was, it was a fun learning experience, man. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm not religious anymore, but that is one thing that obviously benefits me now. And I, I wouldn't trade it. Awesome. 
So when you you all came up with the name, mm-hmm. you agreed to this plan that you you know instead of going house plan, you're going to go bigger. What was the next step that you you kind of took in the process of of getting this brand, like I said, into a reality? Um, so from there we did, you know, obviously you got to do the marketing and you got to come up with like your logo design and, and what format, you know, what's your format going to be? Are we going to do boxes? Are we going to do how, how many cigars in a box? How are we going to distribute this stuff? So you have to go through all the logistics. Uh, but the next natural step for us was, was going down and and meeting with Hochi Blanco at Tabaclara Palma, uh, who, who manufactures for us now. He was really, he was the first meeting. And really the only meeting after we, after we met with him, obviously we had some other people that we would have talked to, but after meeting with him, it just felt like a good fit. He was excited to work with us. We were excited to work with him. Um, from there, we, we took that first meeting in like March of 2021. And before we left, we were blending cigars. I mean, he was like, well, let's go, let's go right now. And we blended our first three cigars on that trip. So it was like, it was go time. Yeah. And then from there, you know, because it was in the middle of a pandemic, uh, we had plenty of time to work on, you know, the packaging and, and everything like that that came after. So how long did it take you to kind of settle on the blends that you, you did? We spent, for those three blends, we spent a good four days uh, revisiting and, and dialing it in. It was, it was I mean, we were lucky, you know what I mean? We've got Hochi Blanco and his son, Jose Manuel. Jose Manuel's like 22, 23. And that dude knows more about tobacco than his dad. You know what I mean? Like that, that kid knows a lot of stuff. Um, so we were lucky to have people there to kind of guide us as, as far as what the blending process should look like. Ultimately it was, it was Kendrick and I who locked in, you know, the final blends and decided what tobacco was going into it, but we wouldn't have been able to get there without guidance from those guys. Uh, so we, we had some help for sure. Um, now we feel like we're at a comfortable point where when we go down there and we're looking at production and stuff like that, we can step in and say, Hey, we want to try this and this. And, and they give us, they give us pretty free reign, uh, to mess around and, and do what we want to do. So, but yeah, it, it only took us, it took us less than a week. Um, one thing I've been particularly interested in, in terms of just not even just the cigar industry, but any business is distribution. Mm-hmm. Because like you can have like the best product ever or the best, you know, anything like the best podcast, the best, you know, album, music right. album ever. But right. if you don't have a good distribution plan, right, you kind of fall flat. So it's going to help you get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you all approach the, the distribution part of your So product? we actually we got lucky there, too, man. It's funny, like in this whole journey, I feel like the dominoes fell for us. We didn't even have to knock any over. Um, we, we were at PCA. No, we were at TPE. Um, this was after we had, had gone down to blend TPE had been pushed to like May. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a little later in the year than normal. And we were hanging out after the show at the bar at TPE. And we wanted to talk to Dion with illusion because we're in Utah and Dion's in Nevada. He's right there. We, we knew that he had set up a free trade zone and that he was distributing we were going to distribute ourselves. We were just going to, you know, get a warehouse space, show up and, and package stuff ourselves, have it shipped to us. But we had, you know, specific questions about how to accomplish it. Dion happened to walk into the bar. Like you never see Dion at the bar at the show, by the way, he, he, he's a solitary guy. He wants to do his thing. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I've ever seen him at a bar. So <laughs> he walked through and and we were just chatting with him. We're like, hey, man, good to see you. And, and we've done business through Beehive with him for years. So he knew we were, who we were. And we were like, we want to pick your brain about distributing. What what uh, you know, what advice can you give us? How can we get started? And he's like, what are you talking about? Let me distribute for you. <laughs> so we're like, OK, cool. That's like, not that a problem. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's a lot easier than us trying to do it ourselves. So. It, it just worked out, man. And and we feel really blessed. You know, Fumari International, Illusion, that's who's distributing for us out of Reno. And they do a great job. Uh, they do an awesome job. They distribute guys like Cavalier, uh, you know, 1502. They're, they're doing a wonderful job over there. So we'd, we'd be lost without them, to be honest with you. And when it comes to getting the word out about your brand, like you mentioned mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show, like you kind of rely on the media. Um, how are you approaching marketing? Because I think marketing today is so hard for a lot of people because it used to be like you just ran an ad in a magazine right and people would just i guess flock to you because that was 
the main means, but now people's attention spans are, you have magazines, you have podcasts, you have right. videos, you have social media, and <clears throat> thousands of different platforms and within that you have influencers. So what's right. working for you in terms of marketing? Like, what did you kind of learn? And, and also like, what did you kind of, you know, try out that didn't maybe didn't work as well as you thought it would? So for us, it's, it's been pretty organic. Um, luckily we've got the the retail shop in beehive cigars and so that's kind of like our home base right that's our mothership so we knew we were going to sell a lot of the brand out of there the good thing about beehive is we get a lot of walk-ins who are just in town um you know for a couple of days it's it's eight minutes away from salt lake city international airport so we get a lot of foot traffic for for people coming and going so that helps um but yeah no it's really social media uh, Instagram, Facebook, and then shows like trade shows like TPE and, and PCA, those really help as well. I, I think we've seen the most attention though from just getting out on the road. Um, that's the bulk of, of my job description right now is, is doing the traveling. Um, so what I'll usually do is look at a region where we don't have a lot of retail accounts, pick an area, call up some shops, say, hey, you know, I'm Brandon, introduce the brand, ask mm -hmm. if they've heard of us, get some samples sent to them, and then give it a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two, and then I'm on the road in that area, and I'm showing up to that shop and just spreading the word. And then from there, that's where the social media comes in. Hey, I'm at, you know, Tobacco Road in Sacramento today. Come see me, come support Z, or I'm at uh, Tobacco Republic in Loomis. Come see Ron and the guys, you know. It's, it's you have to kind of, use all of it in order to promote everybody if, if if we help take care of the retail shops they turn around and help help take care of us so for me you know promoting local retailers and getting into the hands of people who maybe have a following on instagram or or just know how to spread the word uh it's been pretty organic we haven't done we had a, we had a full page ad in cigar journal uh thanks to my friend bruce bush who's running uh things for k by karen burger uh, got us into Cigar Journal, so that helped. We popped a, a pretty decent rating from Boston Jimmy over at Stogie Press. Gave us a 96 on our Maduro. That definitely helped. Uh, we saw a huge uptick after that. So, you know, it, it's things where you want to make an effort to market, but you don't want to stretch out too far either, right? Okay. Especially, like, it's really expensive to run an ad in a magazine. We don't have the capital to do that right now. So we'll yeah, get there. We'll get there. I heard a lot of people say that it's, it, you know, social media works a little bit more because it's affordable. Like it's, I mean, it doesn't cost you anything to do Instagram really, unless you hire somebody to, to help you. So I'm, yeah. I'm always curious about how people are getting out the word because there's so many choices of cigars out there and in, in brands to choose from now. Like, right. you know, in the past, it seemed like there was not as much variety and that, you know, new companies have kind of struggled, but now there's right. so many new companies, there's so many new brands. I mean, you walk PCA trade show, you walk TPE, you yep. see many different things. You, you encounter new stuff all the time. And you're just oh, like, yeah. like, wow, you know? Yeah. So I would imagine that being in your position that I know you don't probably worry about competition, but there's a lot of other cigars out there that you, you know, you have mm -hmm. to bolster yours up. So hopefully, you know, like you said, all those different means that you, use or get right get out well and i think honestly like to you know to toot our horn a little which i don't do often <laughs> i i think the best marketing you can have is a good product really mm -hmm. um i tell my retailers when i'm when i'm meeting with them for the first time i tell them all the time look man it's, it's up to you you know what will work in your humidor or not if you will sell it to a customer the first time it's on me to make sure that they come back and buy it that second time all, all I can do is give you a good product and make sure that they come back. You do the effort the first time, the rest is on me. And, and I'm confident that the, the rest being on me is something that has worked out so far. So a good product is is great marketing all by itself, for sure. Um, for for you, um, you know, what, what makes a good cigar? Because I, I think that's like a basic question that people would go, oh, like, what do you mean what makes a good cigar? But... Right. Like what makes a cigar good in your opinion? That's a great question, man. For me, um, as a consumer, my my focus is quality versus cost, right? Are, are you getting what you paid for? Are you paying too much for what you're getting? Um, or could you be paying more for, for, for whatever you just enjoyed, right? So quality versus cost is a huge one. 
Um, I look for balance in my cigars, so I don't want something to be purely strength or purely flavor. There's got to be a good marriage between the two. Um, I want it to be able to be like, if I'm smoking that cigar, am I, am I sitting back in and enjoying it and really taking it in? Like, what's my experience while I'm smoking that cigar? Is it helping me relax? Is it helping me have good conversation with people in the room? Or am I fighting with the thing? Am I, am I unable to smoke it? Is it, is the burn weird? Is it sour? Am I just not enjoying it? Right. So really, regardless of what I pick up or how much I paid for it, it, it becomes not so much about what the cigar is, but what the cigar does, right? It, what kind of experience is it helping facilitate? That's probably my biggest benchmark. And I think when you smoke apostate, you kind of get pulled into it because they're, they are unique. Uh, we've taken our time to make unique blends. That, and, and obviously, there's a finite amount of tobacco. Everybody's got a lot of the same stuff to work with. But what's our, you know, what's your personal touch? And, you know, so we like to use San Andres as a binder, even on our Connecticut or on the Candela that I'm smoking now. San Andres binder will kind of give it a little more complexity. We didn't put any Lajero in the Feathered Serpent in the Candela. So it's a it's a mellow smoke, but it's very flavorful. It doesn't burn too hot. I don't know, man. There's a lot of things that go into it. Like what's a good, what makes it for you? The same question coming back to you. What do you like about what you would call a good cigar? Uh, for, for me is, it's, I don't want to have to relight it 10,000 times. <laughs> so right, so right. Can, can it stay lit? Um, right. um, you know, the, I'm not big, I can't, I'm not at the level yet to pick out flavor notes and all that kind of stuff, but I don't want it to like, you know, stick to the roof of your mouth and, and feel like it, like you just inhaled an, an, an ashtray. Right. Um, right. So it's things like that, like, I like a nice, you know, if you can get that nice burn line where it's not jagged or, or weird and stuff like that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's like construction, I think, is yeah. is my big thing. Just because yeah, construction is a yeah. yeah. And I've heard a lot of consumers say the same thing. I said the same thing. You know what I mean? I don't care. I don't care if it's 15-year-old tobacco from Castro's cellar. If it, if you can't smoke it, you know, if it's just unsmokable, it doesn't matter. So yeah, construction is huge. And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to work with Hochi Blanco. I mean, his, his construction's impeccable. I, I've had one or two that'll burn a little crooked to start off, but they always correct themselves. Mm -hmm. I haven't had any plugged cigars. I don't have a, a plethora of customers reaching out to me saying, hey, I couldn't smoke this. I had one or two, but it's a hand-rolled product, right? I mean, right. it's gonna happen once or twice. It's unrealistic to, to think otherwise, but consistency of construction, quality of tobacco, I think that all leads to a pretty pleasant smoking experience. And can you walk us through the different cigars that you all have right now and then kind of give, kind of pretend like it's, it's somebody that's a little bit new to smoking. So yeah. tell them like if, if it's not for a beginning, a beginner smoker, like if it's a little bit on the stronger right. side, maybe right. mention right. that so that they know when they go into a retailer to purchase your cigars, they know kind of what might um, mm -hmm. appeal to them and their palate a little bit more. Yeah, totally. We can give you a flavor guide for sure. Yeah. So the, the first cigar we blended uh, is a Habano. It's called the Initiatory. It's uh, it's a six by 52 Toro. All our blends come in one size per blend. We're doing one Vitola to showcase the flavor of that blend. You're not going to find four or five sizes. So the Initiatory is a six by 52 Toro. Uh, it's got a Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper, Mexican San Andres binder, and then all Dominican filler. So it's, it's a very straightforward... Um, very smooth Dominican cigar. It's got the filler tobacco in there is five years old uh, before it was even rolled. So it's it, it's perfect, man. It's it's good for after lunch. It's good for after dinner. I've smoked them in the morning. I would say it's probably a medium to medium plus on the strength scale. Um, it's not overwhelming. It's approachable. I don't know if I would put it in the hands of a, a beginner per se or somebody smoking their first cigar. But if you're looking for somebody who wants you know, good, clean, floral, smooth Dominican tobacco. Um, that's the one all day. That's that's the one that Hochi Blanco smokes when we're down there. He's smoking that one all the time. Um, the second cigar we blended was the, the it's called the Deseret. It's uh, our Maduro. And so it's a Mexican San Andres Maduro. The five and a quarter by 54 Robusto. And uh, it's got a Dominican binder. And then it's got filler from the DR and Nicaragua. Um, we picked filler tobacco from the 
the two regions in each country that are known for sweeter tobacco. So it's a really rich, creamy, flavorful. Um, I get a lot of, you know, like almost a, a chocolate note out of that, like a dark chocolate, maybe some some burnt coffee, you know, some of those Nicaraguan flavors you can really pick out. That one is, I would, again, I would only call it a, a medium plus. It's not a full-bodied cigar, a full-strength cigar. Um, the, the smoke on that thing pours. It, it, it just drips smoke. It's really thick, uh, coats the palate well. That's a great after-dinner smoke. That's my dessert a lot of times. I'll have that one at the end of the day with a, with a nice bourbon um, or like a stout beer. So that one, I, I, again, I wouldn't put it in the hands of a beginner. Um, if you wanted to, as a beginner, kind of contrast, you know, something mild with something a little more full flavored, that's a good way to do a contrast. And I don't think it would overwhelm anybody, but, uh, there's, there's a lot of flavors in there. There's a lot to pick up. So, um, the third one we blended is called the Liahona. It's a Connecticut, uh, Ecuadorian Connecticut, again, with a San Andres binder. And then we've got filler from the DR and a little bit from Paraguay in there for the filler. It's a, uh, it's a cool, like six and a quarter by 45 ring gauge. So it's almost like a, a lawn sale, but it's a torpedo. So it's, it's a cool shape. It's a unique shape. Um, very mild, very creamy. It's got a nutty profile to it. Kind of like roasted cashews is what I get out of it the most. Uh, that's good for literally any time of day. You can smoke it in the morning, but it is just as good. Like for an after dinner smoke, it holds up. Uh, I do that one with my coffee every morning. So that one, I would say a beginner could totally approach for sure. It's not going to overwhelm anybody. It's not super strong, um, but very flavorful, especially for a Connecticut. And then the last one that just dropped, uh, our fourth blend is, is called the Feathered Serpent. It's a Candela. The Candela is different on here. It's not your typical Ecuadorian Candela. And I don't know how well you can see it in this light. And uh, that kind of gets washed out. But it's, uh, it's a very dark green Corojo seed actually grown in the Dominican Republic by Hochi for this cigar. So it's a little, it's a little thicker than your usual Candela wrapper and it's a little sweeter. It doesn't have that grassy note to it. Uh, we used a San Andres binder again, and then it's all Dominican filler with no Lejero. So we had to use other primings to make sure that it burns right. Um, but it's, again, it's pretty mild. I'd put this one at like mild to medium. It's a little more stout than the Connecticut, but not much. Uh, it's got a really creamy, sweet profile to it. This is a good beginner cigar, too, if you can convince somebody to smoke a green cigar for the first time. <laughs> well, some people might find, like, that, you know, the fact that it's different to be a reason that they would want to smoke it. Right, right. It's it's one of those, like, so with the Candela, they, they stopped the fermentation process very early on to maintain that green chlorophyll look to it. And a lot of times with that, you can get that really fresh-cut grass or, like, hay profile this one uh because of the type of seed it is and the soil it was grown in i really don't get those grassy flavors out of this they're they're in there but they're really soft uh it's more of a, a creamy profile so it's i think it's a good one for for beginners because they're gonna it might play on the palate a little better you know what i mean it might excite the palate a little more um at this point in the show i usually ask two questions of all the guests so um, I'm going to ask those questions to you now. Okay. Um, the first of those questions is what is your why or what is your motivation to do what you do? I'm always seeking knowledge, man. Um, my why is I'm a cigar nerd and, and I like learning and this facilitates my ability to learn something new every day. I'm also a people person. I love connecting with people, um, being out on the road, being in new shops, uh, being in new states, new cities, I, I get to meet people all the time. And I love that. Uh, I, I feel like people in the cigar crowd are just salt of the earth. You know, there's, there's some assholes out there, but they know who they are and you know who they are. You know what I mean? So it's easy to discern. For the most part, you're meeting just cool people with cool stories that you wouldn't have talked to otherwise. Um, you know, and I do it for my family. I want to set something up. I want to, I want to leave something lasting, hopefully, uh, you know, for my kids and if they're into it, you know, and if they pick it up down the road, that's awesome. Uh, everybody wants a legacy, right? And if, if this goes away when I go away, hey, cool. I got to spend my life doing something I really love. Um, the, the next question is someone comes to you. They have an idea for a business. It might not necessarily be a cigar business or related to tobacco, but they have an idea for a business, but they have no idea how to get started. What's your tip for that 
kind of new entrepreneur to get them like get get them on the right path as they're getting out there? I would go back to your first question. I would say, what's your why? I would ask them what the motivation is. Why do they want to do what it is they say they're going to do? Um, because if they can answer that clearly, then the rest kind of is just logistics, right? So as far as logistics goes, you know, what's your business model? Who's your target audience? Mm -hmm. what, uh, what are you going to do to ensure quality behind whatever it is that you're creating? How personally invested are you going to be? Are you going to be on the sideline? Are you going to be in the in the trenches? You know, what's your involvement? Um, I, I would say my whole point to that would be trying to make sure they know what they're getting themselves into, because it's not. It might look cool and fun on paper, but when that bar, ball starts rolling, you got to be the one pushing the ball. It, it's not going to roll by itself. Somebody's got to grind. So make sure they're ready for the grind. You know. I, I think I have time for a bonus question. So. Uh... At some point, if you ever get to the point of collaborating with somebody in the industry, what's one, you know, other cigar brand or cigar person or manufacturer that you wish that maybe you could do a collaboration with? Hell yeah. I mean, there's there's a ton, man. There's so many. That's a tough question, right? I know. Uh, you have to use just one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I only get to pick one. You only can uh, pick one. You know what? Honestly, if I'm only picking one, he, he makes our cigars for us but we haven't actually collaborated vision wise with Hochi Banco. I would love to collaborate with Hochi and have his perspective on blending and flavor profiles and all of his knowledge get meshed up with, with what we're trying to do and, and collaborate with Hochi. If I had to pick one, that would be, that would be the guy. Obviously there are others, you know, Nick Melillo gets an honorable mention. Uh, Aganorsa, I would love to work with Aganorsa. Uh, Matt Booth, I would love to collaborate with Matt Booth. He's because he's a fucking weirdo, and I love that. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's a lot, but Hochi would have to be at the top of the list just because of who he is and what he's done for us. And I would love to see what he could do with with our brand in mind. Also, I think that's like I think that'll be very interesting. So maybe mm -hmm. you should since well, next time you're down there, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be down there in uh, I'm gonna be down there in two weeks. So now I have something to talk about for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, for those people who are not watching this and who are just listening to this, um, can you tell them what website they need to to visit for more information and what the social media handles are for them to kind of keep up with you and your brand? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're definitely most active on social media, uh, both Facebook and Instagram. It's at Apostate Cigars. Uh, the website is ApostateCigars.com. It's kind of under construction right now, um, but that will be cleaned up soon. Um, but yeah, the social media, easiest way to interact with us. Um, you can find my email address on there as well. It's Brandon at ApostateCigars.com. You can reach out to me directly. I'm happy to talk to anybody. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming on today. And like I said, you'll have to come on again, like yeah. do a follow-up show and maybe we can get Kendrick uh, on as well. I think it'll be yeah. interesting to ask him some of the same questions to get his perspective, but also just to, to chat and get to know you all a little bit more. Like I said, yeah, it's a very exciting brand. So I congratulate you for what you've accomplished so far, just because thank you. it is a buzzworthy brand but I don't think in the cigar industry you can be buzzworthy without having an actual good product. So right, um, right. That's that's so. worth out for me too. Yeah, we can we can talk about it all day and try to tell you how good it is, or you can light one up and understand what the hype's about. I guess right. Yeah. No, it's exactly. thank you. We appreciate the opportunity, man. We'll be back for sure. Awesome. So I want to thank Brandon for coming on, and I want to thank you all for watching. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Uh, make sure you hit that like and or subscribe button. And if you're listening to this on any of the podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Heart Radio, um, just make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a review if you don't mind. Uh, the reviews can be, you can comment on the good things you like and then you can also say some things that you don't like. It's not going to hurt my feelings. I think there's always room for improvement. So um, it's all open game for me. Uh, just leave a review, please. Um, so... If you missed any of this episode, I think this is episode 114. So there's 113 more hour-long episodes <laughs> for you to get caught up on. <laughs> so you can go to deepcutslive.com or you can go to youtube.com slash deepcutslive. Either place, you'll find all the videos there. 
and uh, some bonus videos as well. Um, and like I said, we'll have to have Brandon back on in the future. And uh, I think we have a, another podcast coming up next week. But like I said, there's plenty to catch up on either way. So thank you, everyone, for watching. And until next time.